Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Strategic Leadership Concentration at Ozark is for those who are called to lead in a variety of Christian contexts, from churches to nonprofits to parachurch organizations. The Strategic Leadership Concentration partners with you to dive into God's Word to lead God's people across generations, across cultures, and into God's future. So what's next? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu slash masters. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and you're about to hear one of Relational Discipleship Network's track sessions from the forum that we hosted last year. RDN exists to help people shift the culture by being confident disciple makers. They do this by hosting conferences, church planner boot camps, and elder learning communities, and a lot of other things. So make sure you check out rdn1.com after this episode. And I gotta warn you that the audio came to me pretty distorted, but I've doctored it up the best that I could so that I could include it this season because they just shared some super insightful and helpful stuff in these episodes, and I think you're going to be blessed by it. So let's go ahead and jump in and hear from Relational Discipleship Network. Here we go. So how many are uh, new in this session that were not here last time? Raise your hand. All right. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to say uh, welcome. Thanks for choosing this track. This is the Relational Discipleship Network. And we're focused on creating a disciple-making culture. And if, you have, if you're not familiar with our network, our network is a collaboration of churches that are committed to helping other churches shift their culture to disciple-making culture. So if you have a heart and a passion to do that, uh, we're all in to help. And what I mean by help is that we have churches that have been in the network for a long time that have made this shift, not perfectly, they don't have all the answers, but they're in to help you. That's through coaching, through training, they'll fly to your place, you can fly to their place, they're all in to help you. So we're big on churches helping churches. The churches in our network are from different backgrounds, different denominations, but we feel that we're stronger working together. So that's what our network is. So if you're interested in that, on the table, there's a card. You fill it out, drop it off at the, at the, you know, the table on your way out, and uh, we'll call you. And we'll figure out how we can help one another. All right. My name is Luke Yetter. I'm the director of our network, and I'm also a product of what we're talking about. I did not know the Lord when I was until about my mid-30s, and my wife and I got married. I sold my company. I retired. thought I did exactly what I was supposed to do. I was all about success, but I didn't do anything of significance. And so uh, our marriage was on the rocks a little bit. We got invited to go put God in our marriage. Never heard of that. Never thought of that. So I went to a couple church services, a couple church buildings, and uh, I didn't experience much of a loving, caring Jesus. But I'm thankful that uh, one of my staff people at my company had convinced me to go to Real Life Ministries. You need to go check it out. It's a new church, a couple hundred people. Go check it out. And so we went there, and I'm super, super thankful for Jim and his team and his staff because they had focused on creating a disciple-making culture. And in their lobby, there was people there that were looking for people like me that didn't know the Lord and that were hurting, and they invited us into their life. They were just regular people. They weren't staff. They were just key volunteers. Those people invited my wife and I into their home, into their lives. They invested in us. They discipled us. They led us to the Lord, and they continued to disciple us. They didn't send us off to a class. Not that class is bad, but they spent time with us. I'm so thankful. And so for me, I'm passionate about what we get to do. I think we have the best role ever. I ended up becoming on staff at Real Life Ministries, ended up being the, one of the executive pastors for 12 years, and I'm all in for churches being the church and reaching like people like me in your community. So if you're interested in reaching the lost and making disciples and shifting your culture, we're all in to help. And so when we ask people to get up here and speak, we pick people from across the country. So you're going to hear from five to six different pastors, senior pastors from across the country, from the East Coast to the Midwest and to the West Coast, and they're all in for making disciples. And so what we did is we, we asked some of these churches, we said, hey, would you be interested? And we went to 10 churches from different backgrounds and just said, hey, would you write out 30 steps? 
that you did to shift your culture, not that all 30 steps just get you there. We get asked a lot of questions. What churches have made this shift? What's their context? And so each one of these churches, we said, hey, write down some of your steps. So we, we have 10 churches here. That it's just a resource that could be really helpful. I hope it helps you. And uh, I want to say thanks for being here. And I want to call up uh, Brandon Bowers. Where's Mr. Brandon Bowers? There he is. He's back there. He's stalling. Okay. Brandon Bowers, he planted a church uh, about eight years ago out of Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, he started going down this road. And so I asked Brandon, I said, hey, Brandon, as a church planter, write down, would you write out 30 days? If you could recreate 30 amazing days or 30 steps, would you write out what you would redo and what you like that you did? And so he did. And so I'm thankful that Brandon Bowers is in our network, but I'm also thankful that he's passionate about reaching people like me because I got three kids. I don't know about you guys, but my kids are still in my home. But if they end up in Charleston, South Carolina, I want to be able to call a church who actually will go and get my kids, which is completely different than just invite them to a church building. Amen? Amen. It gets real, right, when your kids move across the country and you try to find a church that's the church, then it gets real serious, right? So for selfish reasons, I run our network, so I don't know where my kids are going to end up. <laughs> so They'll be better just for moving to Charleston. That's true. That's, that's true, man. So, Brandon, thanks for emceeing this. My voice is shot, so I said, Brandon, would you uh, emcee this, man? And I appreciate your heart to do it. So, Absolutely, man. Hey, y'all give it up for Luke. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, appreciate you. Hey, I'm super literal, too, so if you do get a copy of that book, um, of which we get no proceeds, I don't think, um, I'm a church planner over here. At least hook me up. Uh, I'm super literal. It's what we did the first 30 days of our church plant. So if you're a church planner and you want to know, it's literally, I went day one, day two, because I follow instructions really well. Um, hey, I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of this network because it's, it's a collection of churches all over the country um, that really do have a heart to make disciples. My history before uh, being in the RDN network or before planting a church um, was, I got saved in college, came to Christ my junior year of college, um, went to a, a Southern Baptist seminary and worked in some incredible, actually two really huge Southern Baptist churches. And um, when I went to plant our church, I knew that I didn't know how to make disciples. I literally didn't know. Uh, I could preach a message and I could run programs and I could run huge budgets, uh, but I, did, I didn't really know how to make disciples. And so what I knew is that the church that God had called us to plant back in Charleston, which is my hometown, uh, we wanted to make a difference. We wanted to make disciples that made disciples that made disciples. We said that, but we didn't actually know how to do that. And, and this network really has helped me learn how to do that. And as a pastor, it's helped support uh, both me and our staff as we've done that over the last eight years. So what I want to do, you guys are here. The title of this track uh, is How to Grow Your Church During a Pandemic. So we're going to answer the question that no one's been able to answer over the last 18 months. <laughs> uh, what, what, what I, I want to rephrase it a little bit from this perspective. Um, we've made disciples during a pandemic. And, and you're going to hear stories of these pastors um, and, and some of the best practices that they've gone through in their churches. Uh, and while we are not necessarily out of the pandemic yet, um, what we need to be prepared for is should we ever go through something like this again? There's some things that we probably should all be doing differently. And uh, our job is to learn from experience and try to put, uh, use wisdom to do things differently next time we encounter a situation like this. So what I want to do before or as they come up here, um, what are some questions that you, when you leave in an hour, you go, I want this answered. Is there anybody bold enough to go, hey, I'd love for you to answer this question as it pertains to uh, making disciples, the pandemic, growth. What questions do you have right now? You go, I, this is burning on my heart. I would love for this panel to be able to answer this question. They're going to intro themselves in a minute, and, and they're going to jump into some things that they've done. But what are some questions that you might have right now? You go, I would love to see this answered over the next hour. Yes, sir. Just loud as you can. What do you say to somebody in your fellowship who says, I can't preach, I can't teach Sunday school, I'm scared to lead a group from my home, yeah, I love that. I'm repeating the question because it's recorded. What do you say to someone in your church or fellowship who says, hey, I can't preach, I can't teach, I want to make disciples, but I don't really want to open up necessarily my home? Like, in other words, how, how do I make disciples if I don't have necessarily those gifts or that calling? All right, good question. Somebody else. 
What did you go Braves. Yeah, go Braves. I joke, say Luke was an Astros fan. That's why he has no voice. All right, it failed him. Yes, sir. Uh, what did the, as senior pastor, what did they change in the routine or their schedule? You know, as things shifted and, and churches were closing and yeah. going virtual, like how did they reorganize their reprioritize their time? What did they shift it to? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So with COVID, with obviously routine getting shook. How did, how did they personally change routine, change structure to make disciples and be effective in their calling? All right, good. Somebody else? Yes, sir. So during the pandemic and with the division that is created, oftentimes leaders in the church can feel isolated and alone. How do you develop a relational re-engagement so that they don't get trapped by the Wait, so you experienced, like, division this past year? <laughs> it's a great question. Hey, with the division, discouragement, disgruntlement, and, and the tendency to pull away and isolate, how did, how did they combat that? How did, how did you... Yeah, how do you fight isolation and, and find community and not be alone? That's good. Somebody else, another question. I saw a hand. I thought, yes, sir. How do you feed the, the center of your people regularly throughout the week? What, what new practices did you develop for losing the relational touch points that we're used to having? And then how do you find, find fresh ways to keep Jesus from the center with people and keep fueling that? Uh, what new practices did you find to connect throughout the week? Yeah, that's excellent. So without the Sunday, essentially relational connection, what did you do to feed him Jesus throughout the week? All right, that's, that's great. Somebody else? Yes, sir. The pandemic changed every, everything. Uh, what has it changed about? What are we not going back to? That's good. That's good. So with the pandemic, obviously there was a lot of change. What, what are some things that we're not going to go back to or that you didn't choose to go back to? Um, what I would love to do, and you may have more questions. We'll have some time at the end. Uh, but I wanted them to hear your heart before they start sharing. Uh, I've asked each of them to share a little bit of their context. So, hey, what church do you serve? What's the community like? Um, and then once all four of you guys do that, Bob, I'm going to let you lead the way uh, in talking about maybe how, how you guys handled the pandemic and some of the, some of the positive steps that you took and some of the growth that you saw. So, Jim, why don't you crank it up? Tell us what, who you are, what you're all about, where you're from. Uh, Jim Putman, uh, Real Life Ministries, Post Falls, Idaho. Um, our context is, uh, was red, a red state. Um, but uh, moving a little bit towards uh, less red, but red, uh, what's happened is we're not very far from Spokane, Washington, so we've got um, a lot of people that work there, and um, which is, of all the states probably in the country right now, it's the bluest, uh, whether people know that or not. And so... Uh, the context we have is we have a lot of people moving from all around the United States, but in particular Washington, Oregon, and California, that has just flooded our place. But what it's flooded our place with is a deep, dark form of red that is um, comes ready to fight, mad, angry, and and kind of a, a, a nationalistic beat up on the red because they're too liberal. So somehow along the way, I became a liberal. I don't know how that happened um, in, their, in their mind because of uh, some of my stances on the vaccine and those kinds of things. But um, so we're, we're struggling with not so much the liberal side of, though we have that group, is how do I, uh, we not let the red, the new red, um, create a war where in our community that wasn't there previously because of where they came from in their community. So that's kind of the biggest deal we're, we're working with. When he says red, they basically have like a little army, right? Say that again? You have like a little army pretty much. They got guns and they're walking down the street kind of red. Yeah, one of the first questions I got from the pastors in the area is, are you guys starting a militia there too? <laughs> okay, just wanted to be clear. And the answer was absolutely not. So, 
Bob Reed, uh, lead pastor of Sound Life Church in Cyprus, which is Northwest Houston, killing me about the Braves, man. Congrats, though. Congrats. That's right. Could you please? Yeah, yeah. Um, we live, uh, the church that I'm at is in Cypress, Texas, which is northwest Houston, a uh, suburb of Houston, uh, affluent area, rapidly growing, and uh, incredibly diverse. And so our staff is incredibly diverse, our church is incredibly diverse. Uh, so it's been uh, amazing and unbelievably difficult over the last couple years as we've navigated a number of different challenges and working through um, bringing unity and understanding and not making it political, making it a discipleship issue. And so we've had to navigate a lot of that stuff. Good. Um, so I'm gonna shoot straight with you, okay? Um, it's going horrible, okay? Um, I'm from Washington State, Seattle. Uh, if you hadn't heard of that, uh, it's the, um, the uh, highest, uh, most restrictive mandates uh, we still have new mandates coming. I was talking to a couple of people out here. Uh, just a couple of months ago, we got another level of them. Absolutely devastated our church, right? Um, we're a Christian church. Uh, we believe in God's word. We are as um, blue as blue gets. What's, what's more than blue? Whatever that color on the other side of that is, that's us, okay? Um, and um, I lost um, four of my elders to red states. Um, are giving, right, to his church, I love that guy, um, mad at him, so I'm going to do this right now. Uh, uh, will you please send a tithe over? Here's the deal, because our, uh, our, 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 I need a couple more. Um, here's the deal, and so our giving dropped by, man, we, we, it was awesome. At first, we had the, some of the highest giving when the first mandate first came, and then in August, we got another wave of mandates. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, and our giving dropped then by forty-five percent. So I'm probably gonna have to lay staff off coming up. I think they're all gone. Okay, Shh, don't tell them. Um, um, but here's the deal. Um, so in all of that, what we've seen, and there's a pivotal moment, um, um, we have seen in the last nine months more baptisms in that time, more salvations in that length of time, more baby dedications in that time, than, and I've been at this church for seven and a half years, in uh, the past seven years. Wow. Yeah, so I'll tell you about that. Yeah, I'll talk about that, so it's good. Praise God for that. That's uh, I'm Joel Owen. I'm at Grace Fellowship Church in Kingsport, Tennessee, about four hours east of here, and uh, we love this area. Um, my church is right in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. Um, most people don't wear shoes, and everybody marries their cousins, and all that kind of stuff that you guys laugh about and make fun of. It's it's true, but you can keep believing it. All right, but uh, but we do have. Um, uh, 98% Caucasian population. There's not a lot of diversity in the city of Kingsport, and yet we're in a church that uh, that's blessed with quite a bit of diversity, and uh, and that's been incredible. And so, man, I hear you talk about some really difficult things you guys have gone through financially. Our church is in an area that's kind of an island in the middle of of some crazy. Um, hardships financially, but but Kingsport is a, a pretty solid place as far as financial prosperity and those kinds of things. Uh, around us is a lot of poverty, but we, we tend to have a, a pretty stable economy, and so our church actually has has been over budget in giving for six out of the last seven years, and uh, and so we haven't had those same kinds of struggles, but there, there, there's different struggles. <laughs> it's great to be financially healthy, different when you have relational hardships that you have to really walk through with people. And so, uh, so that's kind of a little bit of our context and, and where we're coming from. Yeah, it's great. And hey, we're in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and our church is, is, I would say, significantly diverse in terms of race, uh, socioeconomic background, educational background, uh, even uh, age demographically. And so uh, this past year has been, it was a crazy, this is a crazy year. Um, and diversity is a beautiful thing in the church, but this past year made it really difficult to maintain uh, diversity. Uh, one of the guys in my men's group, I mean, his 2015, his mom was shot at Mother Emanuel uh, when the church shooting happened downtown. And so, you know, just a lot of the issues that got magnified this past year um, disrupted some of what seemed to be peaceful unity. I think it actually exposed maybe some issues that were below the surface for us. Um, and so, you know, I, one of the beautiful things about this network that, that I hope you notice um, 
These are churches from the Northwest, the Northeast, um, Houston, the South. Um, obviously, we're Southeast, all over the country. And, and no matter where you find yourself as a pastor, ministry leader, we all face the same challenges. Uh, and they may have been to a different degree to based on where we were, but we all went through the same stuff. In a lot of ways, we're still trying to deal with some of the same stuff. So um, what I want to do is ask, um, and Joel, you got the mic. Why don't you take it away? Uh, you know, when you, when you think about the last 18 months, we'll just go all the way back to February 2020. Um, what, what are some things that you discovered? Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world, how to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials. It's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. You were doing and didn't work. Uh, that maybe to answer my man's question, we don't go back to. Uh, and then, what were some of the best practices that you saw within your church? Some things that you go, you know, what we need to capitalize on that and, and fan that flame. Yeah, we were really fortunate because we already had the small group structure in place for our church. So when things all went to online church and nobody's meeting in the building and all those kinds of things, we were really able to continue uh, meeting together and calling people together. And so it couldn't be the gathering with, with a few hundred people, but it could be the gathering with, with six or eight people. You know, And so that was something that we felt was a real benefit or a positive was we could encourage families, hey, if, you, if you're not coming to the church to worship, at least get with one or two other families and, and worship together on Sunday morning in your home. Continue your life groups. Continue to do those things. Maybe that's outdoors. Maybe it's indoors. Whatever you feel comfortable with, however you're going to do that. But the structure was in place for us to continue to do church and be the church. You know, we didn't see that that drop off in just like, oh my gosh, where did everybody go? We don't know how we're going to connect. We don't know what we're going to do. Uh, there's no there's no structure or culture here that allows us to be healthy during this time. The culture had been planted and built and developed for years that when the crisis came, you're able to weather some of that storm. If you are trying to build and develop culture in a storm, then that's a tough time to do that, right? So if you can work on, and I know now we're in the middle of all of this, but if, if the next crisis is coming and the next crisis will come, uh, what are you going to do now to build culture that's going to allow you to weather that when it comes? And the culture that we had to have and establish was, was just deep relationship. Uh, it's deeply founded on Jesus Christ. It's deeply founded on on biblical truth and living that out. Uh, and so, so that was one of the, the key things that, that I think we did that was really helpful for us. Um, we also had uh, people that, that we did kind of lose track of, right? And even to this day, 18 months later, there's a name that will get mentioned at church sometime, and I go, oh yeah, I haven't thought about them in like a year. How are they doing? Are they still connected to us? Do they, are they still watching online? Are they still engaged somehow? And people go, oh yeah, they are, and here's how we know that, and here we're having conversations with them, and we're still following up, and we're invested in their lives, and, and all those kinds of things. But another practice that we did and continue to do uh, kind of goes along with some of the terminology we use in the RDN of just chasing the strays. Who are those people that have kind of gotten out of your view and you don't see them right now? And are you pursuing them? Are you going after them? And so we divided up our entire church population list in our database and gave names to staff, elders, leaders, small groups. It's a minute, contact every single person in our church. And we do that on a consistent basis that we call people. We haven't seen you in a while, haven't heard from you. Are you doing okay? Is there anything you need? We find out all the time just through that one thing, crisis in people's lives, problems they're going through, 
joys that they're having. Somebody just had a baby. Somebody just got married in the family. You know, like we, but just through that, we're able to stay connected, stay engaged, stay involved. Uh, so those are a couple of the things that we've done. And I know everybody's got things, so I won't, I won't go into more detail of stuff that we've done, but I want you guys to share too. Hey, that's good. It speaks to your question about structure. What changed? I remember uh, the, 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 the day we got notified that Sundays weren't going to be happening, that uh, we couldn't meet indoors. And uh, we called our staff together. There's about 25 of us. And just said, hey, look, starting the day, guys, every single one of us is a DB. We're digital Billy Grahams. So we're all going online, and we're all going to chase people that way and did the same thing, split rosters. you know. And mo- most of our staff is already connected to a small group. But just trying to go, okay, how do we take this church and make it small and then give you a church? And what, what Joel's saying, and we got, we got exposed really early on, is, hey, we should have already had that infrastructure in place to some degree, right? To where it wasn't just who's in a small group, but, hey, who, who are these people? Who's, it, who's accountable for them? And uh, I, I love the fact that, that you guys did that and still have that in practice. That's a, obviously, chasing strays is something we should always be doing, but figuring out how to do that well, that's good. Somebody else? Since you turned the conversation to what have you done, kind of personally, to sure. answer your question, because when you said that, I thought, I mean, I want to say something to that, but we may get away from it. Um, one of the things that I did was not church-wide, but it was for me. Like one of the things that you do when you go, what do you need to change in your schedule and your things is not just how do we do staff meeting, when do we do elders meetings, how do we church services, small groups. Man, I started for the, for the first time in a long time, I started going to the gym and working out three days a week. I know you can tell. Wow. Giant. But like just for my, stop. Just for my, <laughs> just for my own personal mental health, that's been a huge thing. Man, if you're not doing something like that, I got in counseling. I started going and seeing somebody for the first time in my life just to talk through anxieties, issues that I was dealing with. Like, get personally healthy, that's good. and then you can help your church be healthy. If you're not personally healthy, your church is not going to be able to do that same thing. So that was another just a practical kind of thing. Yeah, um, I'm the guy in a bad mood, so I'll, I'll, let me take it just a little different. But, uh, what I watched, uh, and, and, and I told you we shifted gears, and we just saw amazing things happen. And um, last Sunday, we saw the highest numbers in our church than we've seen in five years, right? So before the pandemic, okay, uh, a lot of people left, a lot of people coming. And, and here's what had happened, and it was, it's on me. Um, we spent the first year talking about what we were losing, the, the winds of the enemy, right? And that was a conversation. Everything was about that, and I just got ticked. Uh, and I was, you know, again, God and I were kind of shouting back and forth, kind of a, a David kind of conversation. You guys been there? And he really chastised me. He says, and, and here's a phrase, I've got to be careful. Uh, um, I don't like the term unprecedented times because I don't believe that to be true. You look at world history. Is it bad? Yes. Is it different? Yes. Unprecedented in my 40 years? Yes. But you look at world history. You look at when Jesus walked this earth. Okay. It wasn't peachy times. Um, so in a sense is in all those times, and this is what he said to me. He said, Scott, start having conversations about kingdom and growing kingdom because the gates of hell will not prevail and hell was kind of rising up and I was giving it a voice and I said um, I said screw that and I went to my staff and said we're taking ground I don't care you know because Jesus used very few people to change the world amen you know so I didn't need you know the thousands of people um, I needed Jesus and surrender to him so we started doing that and it's unreal what happened we can talk a lot more about elements and details and the programs and stuff like that because they're there and cool stories I love to tell you but it's just that right I got a promise in Matthew uh, 16 is uh, the gates of hell will not prevail and I just started believing that right um, and the worst that got out there um, uh, the sweeter, brighter, more powerful he is. And we brought that message of hope to that world, right? And we started seeing lives transformed and changed. And we watched old age-wise baby Christians on Facebook yelling and screaming about stupid stuff while we were get, seeing people get saved, right? So it's about that. And I'll, one last point, and this is important because you heard a reference to it. Um, you know, we were you know, down and out, struggling that, and uh, Jim, because of this relationship. We don't just talk about this. We live it out within these churches. 
sent me one of his best staff members, right, to come be part of that. And that is absolutely part of when we sort of turned the corner because we've got somebody because he was kingdom focused and we were together. I wasn't alone, right? He gets to be in red state. I'm in blue state. And I love what he says. It, it sounds good, but it's not all that good, right? Um, and, you know, he said, here we go. I'm in, right? So anyway, uh, that's part of this journey too is I, I was not alone, right? These brothers are with me. Yeah, yeah I think for me, uh, the... Uh, like what Joe was talking about as far as the the personal stuff. I think tomorrow's session is about how do we navigate fatigue and stuff, which I'll share more then, but I'd really encourage you to come back for that because uh, there were some significant lessons that I learned in that. I think uh, similar to these men, you know, the, the thing that was a blessing, and I remember talking to our team about this, of saying that the fact that we already have the infrastructure uh, for groups, and it's not dependent and reliant on the Sunday morning uh, show, if you will, uh, was huge for us. And so we already had an infrastructure of care. Bob, can I hit pause on that real quick? Please. So I don't want to assume everybody, when we say groups, uh, you might have Sunday school, you might have Sunday night discipleship groups, you might have groups that meet at home. When you say groups, or we say groups, can define that, put some legs on that. Like, what is that? Because one of the questions was, hey, if Sundays are gone, and we don't have the relational touch on Sundays. How do we keep? How do we feed the center of our people? Yeah. So one of the, so we so we talk about uh, our small groups being a group of you know try to keep it around eight to twelve folks. Uh, you have an intentional leader. Uh, you try to create a relational environment. Uh, you know, as far as that intentional leader is, you know, creating a relational environment with his team. We talk about a relational, uh, excuse me, a reproducible discipleship process uh, that we're helping people grow from spiritually dead infant, child, young adult. We want them to be parents. We want them to reproduce disciples. One of the things we're really uh, really say a lot is that just because you're in a small group does not mean you're being discipled. So, because oftentimes we say, and when I got to the church that I'm at, they had t-shirts, everything was getting a group, getting a group, getting a group, getting a group. So the end goal from what they're communicating is getting a group. But just because you're in a group doesn't mean you're becoming spiritually mature. And so we had to redefine what it looked like to, to get the group the small group is just a vehicle to help lead to a discipling relationship. So anyway, so, that, so that, that was our infrastructure. So we put a ton of emphasis on our small group leaders really reaching out and caring for the people that were in groups. The other thing that it exposed was that even though we have a lot of groups with a lot of folks in those groups, there's still a lot of folks that aren't connected. And so it really showed that, man, it, it is difficult, and we even talked about this, you know, um, through video and on stage and all that stuff, but it's really hard to care and shepherd people when you choose not to be connected. Like we, we have a way to care for you and to love you and to serve you and to provide shepherding for you, but when you choose conscientiously to not put yourself in one of those groups, it's difficult to provide shepherding and care for you. And so it really helped people. Actually, it was one of the things that we found that people wanted to get into groups as they were coming back. And so we had, you know, so when somebody says, you know, what, what's one thing you wouldn't want to go back to? Uh, I, I don't know necessarily that we were doing that we stopped as much as I hope we don't. Like, I would love the day that there are no Zoom groups. I hated them. I still, we, we still have people Zooming in, and it's just the most, like, like we did Zoom way before just doing for meetings and that kind of stuff, and it was fine because every now and then it's like, I hate it. I, like, don't want, I just I don't enjoy it whatsoever. Um, but I would say that the thing that has been helpful is, and that we've seen the most growth, is we're seeing more disciples who are now discipling others. That's our biggest area of growth. We're seeing more people, like we're seeing lots of folks come to Christ. We're seeing people being baptized, which is awesome. Um, however, the thing that we're probably seeing the biggest amount of growth is the people that were being discipled are now, reprodu are now reproducing. They're now being disciples of disciples. And so that's one of the things for me. So as you think about reaching your community, are you, are you equipping an army and then releasing them on your community? That's good. Or are you just continuing to try to feed little bits and pieces to your church and saying, hey, come back next week and I'll feed you bits and pieces again. So for us, that's the area of growth for us is that we're seeing a lot of folks begin to reproduce as disciple makers. That's awesome. And hey, before you go, I want to say one of the things I love about uh, Jim is you never have to wonder what he's thinking. 
right? So uh, he answers questions people are asking. I, I remember when you guys, I don't know if you reopened or it was, like it was the height of COVID in Charleston. And, and I, I track most of these guys through social media or whatever. And uh, I pulled up your, your or real life. I got an email from you. Uh, and it was a church-wide email. And this is no joke. You can go find it in their archives. There was an email from Real Life Ministries. You don't want to miss this Sunday as we launch into a new series called Contagious. And I thought to myself, my God, that's insensitive. Right? It was like, how do I become a contagious Christian? I was like, timing, maybe a little off. Here's the deal. I, and then, like, recently you had one called Controversial, right? It's like, hey, let's just jump in there. Uh, but one of the things I love, though, and if you go listen to the messages from, from Jim in real life, uh, I feel like you do a really good job equipping your people to know what they believe and why they believe it. Uh, and I, like, I look at that, and I'm challenged by that. How, how has that gone through 2020, 2021 for you? And, and what's been, how have you kept really the unity of that teaching as you guys have grown over the last year? Um, well, there's a lot I'm hearing, and, and it's always, I'm so encouraged by you guys, you know, I'm just so encouraged. What's happening on the, on the bigger scale for us is, um, let me just say it this way, I, I, our church grew really fast. We went from like a couple of families in a house to 8,000 in the first six, seven years, eight years, and um, then we started to plant churches and we started to decline. And I'm like, uh, we got to grow the church. You know, why, are, why hasn't the church stopped growing? And I called my dad, who has never been in a church more than 150 in his life. And he said, Jim, a um, couple of things. First, your church never stops growing. Do you mean numbers on Sunday morning? Sometimes you grow deep, sometimes you grow wide. If you grow wide without growing deep, the slightest wind comes and you fall over. Quit worrying about how many people you have in your church. Go with the goers. Grow deep in your times when it seems to be the numbers aren't so great. Keep making disciples, and then you let God worry about how many he adds to your number daily. Does that make sense to you? And so for me, the mindset had to be, and I had to have my dad and others remind me because I get caught in inner struggles all the time. And I'm grateful I have brothers and sisters who remind me of things I've taught that I'm not actually practicing or, or teach me something that God's teaching somebody else that I've forgotten or need to learn. But I remember um, during that time, I was so grateful that so many of our people had actually gotten into small groups and started, and, and so therefore, it wasn't, you know, not meeting on Sunday morning was never, Sunday morning is important, but it wasn't the most important. We were set up for what happens if you cut off the head of the snake, you know, well, if, if it's not just one head, then it can continue to go. And it's about Jesus and his personality, not about a personality, human. And it's not about, you know, so we were centralized but decentralized in case that happened. And so our people really clung to one another and encouraged one another. And then our job needed to be to just continue to be encouraging to one another and encouraging them that God is doing something. He's in control. And it just, you know, the darkest night for disciples in history is the night that Jesus was crucified. And it looked like to all the disciples that the worst possible thing could have happened, but it was really the best possible thing. And we got to walk by faith and not by sight. And just continuing to, to move forward in that way and, and, and they encourage one another. So I was grateful for those relationships. And what I noticed was all these people that didn't have time for relationships now, uh, before, because we've always had, you know, 20,000 people probably that called us our church, but our average attendance was, you know, six, 7,000. They didn't have time to be in, in you know, amongst the 7,000 that were in small groups. Well, now their job stops, they got nothing right? Now they're left holding the bag with what they'd created and how does, how is that working for them? Which meant that there was plenty of ministry to do at that time. And those who were strong enough and on the rock were able to pull those who weren't on the rock in. So rather than worrying about what we weren't able to do, there was plenty to do and to focus on doing that, not worrying about the numbers on Sunday, uh, but worrying about 
ministering to our disciples in relationship, ministering to those who are flailing and, and, and in big trouble, gave us plenty to do. And let's focus on what we can do rather than gripe about what we can't do. Do you see what I'm saying? And so that was a, a big part of it. And then, you know, the nice thing about being with people is, you know, a lot of times guys will go into their office and sit with a commentary for hours and, and figure out what they think their people need to, talk, to hear rather than being with your people so you know what they need to hear, right? And, and so dealing with the real issues they're dealing with was really important. Um, tomorrow we're going to talk about, you know, the digital stuff and, and what do we do with digital now and, and what we've learned about digital and how to use digital and, you know, uh, all the stuff that people kind of relied upon now. How do you get people to come back from the, the, the couch get out of their pajamas and come back to church, and should you, you know, those are all things we'll deal with tomorrow, but, but the biggest thing for me was as people were able to come back to church, all that work that had been going on while we weren't in church in the weekends, it just continued on ministering, and, 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 and in some cases it was even busier. When you start coming back to church, the numbers for us were probably 1,500 more on a weekend than it was before. And, and, um, but it's because people are ministering to people. People are bringing It wasn't ever, for us it was never supposed to be about the Sunday morning. Yes, that's an important part, but that's, that's, it's important, but it's the least important out of all the things you could be doing. So what happened was our ability to minister in the community and to care for each other meant that more people came, which you might go, that's great, but with more people comes more tongues with something to say, more problems and more ministry. And growing your church, I always want to ask people, are you sure you want to do that? Because with more people, wherever there's a person, there's a problem waiting to happen. Those are discipleship opportunities, and, and so, you know, I think we're not, we're not done with COVID yet. There's, COVID is really affecting people, and, and you're always surprised about who it's going to be. It's real. It's not real, as real for everybody as it is for everybody else, but it's still real. And I have no idea what it's going to end up with, but then the devil kind of switches tactics, and now it's vaccine, non-vaccine, mass, non-mass, the political stuff, you know, the problem with people sitting around at home is they got to entertain themselves some way, and it's usually not abiding, it's usually watching one of the news channels, which gets everybody angry and gives them new things to fight about, and what does it look like to go, we need to follow Jesus, walk with Jesus, feed on Jesus, so the fruit of the Spirit's coming from us, rather than the world's version of, of truth, and constantly dealing with those issues. Here's where we're going to stand on these issues. This is what we believe in. We know we're not making everybody happy. We never could, and it was never about making you happy anyway. It's about serving Jesus. Those who come with us, they come with us. Those who don't, they don't. And we're leading. We're not trying to make it, you know, figure out where, which, which way is the wind blowing. No, here's what God's word says. Here's where we're going. Those who go, go. Those who don't, don't. And those who don't, will either go somewhere and cause problems over there, they'll change their mind and come back, but we'll be together going in the same direction. You know where we'll be, you can find us here. And so it, those are the kinds of things we've had to do. And it's led to, you know, some people have left our church, some people have come to our church, a lot of people have gotten saved, and, and, and they're growing, and there's been a lot of trial. And the biggest thing for me is to make sure what I'm what I'm feeding on, and am I walking with Jesus, and am I wrestling through things, because I get amped up pretty quick on different things, and, and building rails on the road that keep me from going into the ditch, rumble strips, that, that, that relationships that, that start getting loud and going, Jim, 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 you know, um, I gotta have that, because it's really difficult to stay on course, and, and not get drug off the rock, with all the drowning people rather than pulling them they pull us and and then they got nothing to come back to hello disciple makers podcast listeners i want to invite you to the 2022 national disciple making forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. 
Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do rapid fire question and answer here in a second. Something that may have been shared may have spawned a question in your mind before or as you get those together. uh, One of the questions was, what's one thing or what's something that uh, you'll never go back to or that you'll not do? So I just want to ask curiosity, each one of you guys as a pastor, so not personal, but as a pastor, what's something in your church that you go, you know what, we're never going to go back to that. We did that pre-COVID. We kind of let it go. Um, is, is there something like that within your church? And if so, what would it be? Well, there's a bunch of things that I think we need to do better than we've been done doing it. Name one. Jim. One. <laughs> um, oh, man. Not five. Um, you know, for me, intentionally focusing on um, not speaking so much about the counterfeits, but just having people handle the truth, which gives them the ability to discern the, the counterfeits, but just joy and looking above the fray, rather than trying to guess where the fray is going and what's happening out there so we can answer it, to look above it and say, here's the joy and hope that we have in Christ and and paint that picture and hold on to that picture because I go into battle mode against the enemy, right? And so... I love that. My wife used to work at a bank and y'all probably heard this analogy before, but uh, to detect a a counterfeit bill, you don't study all the fakes and what they could look like. They teach you to study the real one so that you can easily discern the others. So I... I love that you said that, just pointing to the truth and not trying to get caught up in everything else. What about you, Bob? Yeah, yeah there wasn't any programs or anything like that that we had to, to mix. I think, I think, the, I think probably the, the biggest thing, if I just choose one, um, was it, one, I would say it exposed where, our, where I felt like we needed to spend more time equipping our church. You know, because we talked about spiritual warfare, that hand-to-hand combat. And uh, I even talked about this last night. Like the the main thing that we wanted to be more centralized on was prayer. And that was going to start with me. So that was an area that God was really convicting me in and we we need to grow in. Um, You know, one thing, uh, what I watched before, and I think it's a fate thing, is we were busy about killing ourselves. Just keeping all the plates spinning. All of a sudden, we got shut out of the building, and we saw God do stuff. And it really reminded us that you know we think too high of ourselves, right? And so it's really a fate decision. And and I say this to my staff always: do not get back on that hamster wheel because it destroys you, it destroys your family, and you know God has never called you into that, right? Um, so. So I had two things I was going to say, and I was balancing which one I would say, and then you said that. So that's it. Uh, like That was one of the things. Just get off the busyness of everything in life. But, so the other thing for us, I think, not going back, we didn't have to nix programs because of financial reasons or something like that, but because of loss of leadership or because of people not being there, we just didn't have some of our programs within our church that we could sustain. Um, and so we really started seeing people that we've, we've started empowering more to go, hey, what are you already engaged in in the community that you could pull somebody else from our church alongside of you to go and do? And so now instead of us having everything that's driven internally by our church and by our staff and by our teams, we more try to just go, what are you doing and who could you get to come and help you and just build your own little team and you be a a resource to our community. And if we as a church some way can support that, we want to. But I don't really want to go back to the church overseeing 
50 ministries that are going on. Like, I want to empower people more to just go, you're already doing things in our community. You're passionate about it. Get somebody else to come alongside of you and go. And so I hope we don't go back to feeling like we have to be in charge of everything and run it. Like, the church will tell you what to do, and here's the ministries you can be a part of. Like, no, you go find what you're passionate about and go do that and then engage other people in it with you. So good. Uh, hey, questions. They're going to restrict answers to a minute. Let's start right here. You just spoke about getting off the hamster wheel. Um, how do you decide what to do in place of that, of not getting on the hamster wheel but doing something new? How do you decide which direction to go? Yeah, so to summarize, uh, they said, hey, get off the hamster wheel. So and some, what you're asking is, hey, in place of what the hamster wheel was, the busyness, how do you decide what to do? Yeah, yeah I'll start, and it really is kind of, you know, you heard it here a little bit because he could have said the same thing I said, uh, but he Matthew sixed it, right? Uh, seek his kingdom first. It's about priority, right? Because um, um, we, we waste a lot of time, right? And so really recapturing that time and, and growing in the Lord, seeking his kingdom first, being led by the Holy Spirit, um, and doing the things that God has you to do and trust God to do the work. Because most of my ministry life depends on the sweat of my brow. And, I, and I'm like all of you, I'll, I'll work myself right to the grave, right? And many of us, have, it's cost our families, right? And that, that just needs to stop. And COVID's been a gift for us churches because you had to stay at home and the church was still the church. Jesus was still king. So you do not have to destroy yourself or your family. So you have to make decisions and do the best things and let the good things go. Hey, there's an excellent uh, book too. It's called Church as a Team Sport that, that Jim helped write. And for me, it, it helped shape in a lot of ways. Um, previously as maybe a pastor or a minister, I would do things that um, I was filling roles or positions or our staff was that, that really lay people or volunteers should be stepping into. It just reshaped philosophy a little bit. About how can I get places, create places for people to play and then get them in the game? Um, that helped a lot. Church is a team sport is the name of the book. Church is a team sport. Are that, is that out there? It's on the table out there if, if you choose to, to get one. Somebody else. Yep. Yeah, I have a question. Back in the 60s when I was in Golden Gloves boxing. <laughs> I had, I had, I, I'm I, not I, answering this guy. I had, I had a lot of books on boxing. Page two, page four, how to do it. You have t-shirts, have books, have programs. But I didn't know how to, I didn't learn how to box until I got in the ring. Far different than books. So we, we have a lot of good literature here, a lot of good information and, and conferences. But how do we get the practicality? Because I went to Indianapolis, Indiana, back to home. They had 5,000 Pentecostal apostolic there for a convention. And I went to a restaurant, must have been 700 people, and you can tell I'm a Jew, you know, and I, I do this for a reason. And they invited me to sit down. I said, who do you believe in? They said, Jesus. I said, why do you have that book? That's the good news. I said, well, he must not be that good, and your message must not be that good either. They said, sir, why would you say that? I said, because 700 people have not shared that person and his message with me. So my question is, it's not, like you say, Sunday morning. We can't do that. I see small groups that we have to put this knowledge into practicality because those people said, I asked them, why didn't you share it with me? If, if They didn't know I was a Messianic Jew. They just thought I was a Jew. And my soul is on the road to hell if I was in Judaism, right? Why didn't you share it with me? Sir, because we really don't know how. I think that's a key point. How do we get in practicality to share, not only with the Jewish people, and most people couldn't, couldn't get to first base, but even sharing it with the Gentile people. And unless you get in the ring, you're not gonna learn how to box. Yeah, I, I think, I, think I, love, I love the question is, how do, we, how do we teach people to share? How do we, we say, do it? How do we do it, right? And my, my favorite boxer of all time, Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Uh, and I think COVID was a punch in the face for our plan of discipleship in the church. And the truth is, you know, a lot of our plans didn't work well. And this is, a, in some ways, a reset. Like when, when Scott said it was a gift, I think it's a reset. And what you hear all these men saying and what this network believes in is that discipleship happens in relationship. 
It, it can't happen straight from the pulpit. Uh, it can't happen in just content going out, but it's got to happen in relationships. So uh, I don't know that we have a clear answer yeah. on how to fix that. I want to share something. Okay, Bob does have an answer. Yeah, Go for yeah. it, Bob. So 2000, I, I love your question, by the way. Um, 2011, uh, I was at a church in Fort Myers, Florida, super frustrated because I'm looking at statistically uh, 50% of marriages in the church as well as outside the church are falling apart. But yet Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it sure looks like we're failing. 80% of students that are leaving church youth ministries are walking away from their faith when they go off to college. How in the world can this happen if we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit and his holy scriptures? How in the world are we failing this miserably? Somehow, I'm leading a church that I'm not confident when I stand before God and he says, did you make disciples? I don't, I don't know. I leveraged a lot of influence on Sunday to try to get them to get into small groups. But at the end of the day, I'm hoping some of this stuff is sticking. But the way the reality looks, it's not. So I went to a thing called a D, now it's called a DS1. And it's a two-day experience. We encourage you to consider it. But it's the practice. It's, it's teaching you to say, how in the world do you make a disciple? I went through seminary, all that stuff. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember through Bible college and seminary, somebody teaching me how to make a disciple. They taught me how to preach. They taught me how to do a lot of things. They taught me how to educate, but not personally make a disciple that could then go and make a disciple. Most of the time when I would try to disciple guys, it was super dependent upon my education, and it sure as heck wasn't really reproducible. And so what we've focused on is the very thing that you're talking about is we want to equip people to be able then to make a disciple of Jesus. And part of that is being able to know how to share their faith. And I'm shocked how many people, what is it, the statistics, 80% of people in the church have never shared their faith with anybody outside of their family? That's ridiculous. And part of the problem is we haven't equipped our people. So we've got to look in the mirror and say we're, we've been part of the problem. And until we start changing how we do ministry and really start getting in the trenches with our folks and quit just focusing on preaching on Sunday, but literally start making disciples ourselves and inviting people to do the same with us, then it's not going to change. And so getting into the ring is a big part of it. And going to battle for our people and discipling them, equipping them, the guys I'm discipling. I want to make sure. Do you know how to, if somebody walked up and said, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, would you biblically, scripturally, know how to walk them through so that they would have a clear understanding of the gospel? Whether they choose or not, that's not your deal. That's not your part. But do, are you, do you feel confident? Every single one of them, consistently, no clue. I mean, I can kind of walk them through some stuff, but I wouldn't know biblically, scripturally how to do it. And so for us, we've got to, we can't make assumptions of where people are because they've been in the church for a long time. And so we've got to get super practical to make sure, and I'm telling you, I would just strongly encourage it. That DS1 that I'm talking about, it's a two-day experience. There's a thing over here that tells you dates and where you can go and all those things. It had such a massive impact. Like, I walked away so convicted that I went back to our elders and I said, guys, listen, and this wasn't a power play whatsoever. It was, guys, listen, if we don't want to move in this direction because we've already made some changes and the church was getting ready to celebrate 100 years of age, um, you know, so it, change was not a great thing. Uh, but I said, if you don't want to make this change, I totally get it and I respect it. And here's what I want you to understand. I am going to graciously and, uh, resign because I could not continue to do ministry. And it was successful based on church terms. But I could no longer do ministry the way I was doing ministry and stand before God. Like now I understood, like there, I have a responsibility. I, I would ra- and I told him, I, I said, I would rather go get a job at UPS or somewhere else and go make disciples than continue to do church. And so my encouragement to you is if you're not sure, like how in the world would you go, like if you were to leave here and start making a disciple that then could make a disciple that then could make a disciple, like if you're not confident to be able to do that, that's reproducible, that looks like what Jesus did, that DS1 is a great next step for you to be able to help you because it's all experiential. It's not talking heads. It's experiential for two days for you to have a clearer understanding of what it looks like 
to make a disciple of Jesus. And then the coaching that's a part of this network is a part of that, to have guys that are, and and to have women helping women, to have guys helping guys to be able to walk through what does it look like for us to be able to empower and encourage people to do this. For me to have even talk to Jim of saying, I'm struggling with my elders, how do I do that? How much time are you spending with them outside of those meetings? Very little, he says, no wonder you're having those issues. Right? To be able to have that insight and wisdom to be able to navigate and talk through that with other brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to help us be able to do that. And that's where you get those, that practical help. Hey, y'all helped me by thanking this panel and Luke, the director back there. I'm going to honor your time. We're, we're two minutes over. And so the, the best thing you can do if you want to know more information about what Bob just shared, there's cards on your table. Uh, You can turn those cards in. We'll get you more information on the RDN network. Thank you guys for being with us, and I hope we see you back for the next session. Thanks so much for listening to this Relational Discipleship Network episode. I hope that you enjoyed that, and I want to encourage you to check out discipleship.org and mark your calendars for October 5th and 6th, because we're hosting another National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's going to be a fantastic time. All right, coming up next, we've got another RDN track session episode, so make sure you click subscribe to the podcast so that you know when I release it. All right, everybody, have a great day.